Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. At the end of the day, it's not about what you have or even what you've accomplished. It's about what you've done with those accomplishments. It's about who you've lifted up, who you've made better. It's about what you've given back. Denzel Washington. Welcome to Inspire Vision. Our sole purpose is to elevate the lives of others and to inspire you to do the same. Hey folks, Dr. Doug, Dr. Doug and Friends Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited to have a gentleman by the name of Marvin Williams on the show with us. He is just a fantastic guy and has written a book and has done some amazing things in the area of basketball and training some NBA players. Marvin, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. Really, really appreciate you being on the show. I thank you guys for taking the time to have me on here. I really appreciate it. You have got, you've written an amazing book, but you have got an amazing story to tell the people that has made all the difference for you, for your son, and for others with whom you had influence. Would you mind sharing with the audience your story? Sure. Um, I come from, I was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1964. Um, My mother, my dad had 19 kids total. Um, I was one of eight. Um, my mom and dad lived together for 41 years. They were never married. Um, they both was, in my opinion, dysfunctional alcoholics, uh, abusive. Uh, so I come from background where they fought all the time and things like that. And so I learned to play basketball while I was in New York. And a friend of mine taught me how to play basketball, and I fell in love with the game of basketball. And so I started spending my time away from home from the fights and all that stuff to uh, play basketball. I lived in New York till I was about 13 and then my folks moved us to a little town called Wallace, North Carolina. And back in the 60s and 70s, there was still racial tension going on in the South, which I was unaware of as a kid. And so we moved to North Carolina because my grandfather was sick and he eventually, unfortunately passed away. And so we ended up staying with my grandmother who, who already had a whole bunch of people living in her house. And so there was a lot of chaos going on in the house. And so I used basketball as a, a means to escape. 
So what I would do is when I wasn't cropping tobacco, we also back during that time, they had uh, tobacco fields where the, the white guys owned the tobacco fields. And uh, my grandparents would put us all out there and we would basically slave labor work from like six in the morning during the summer to about seven or eight o'clock at night cropping tobacco. And during the weekends, I would get away and go to the local parks down in my city and play basketball. And that's why I ended up meeting Larry Jordan and playing, playing with him. He would come in, his grandparents lived in my hometown. So he would come in on the weekends and play. And at that time, his brother, Michael Jordan was uh, playing baseball. And so I, I knew Larry for a few years and then Mike started playing and then he started coming to the parks and playing. And he was, he was really good. He, uh, as y'all know the story, he got cut when he was in the 10th grade year, but his junior year, uh, he went to a five-star camp and got really, really good, man. And, uh, I ended up being friends and family friends with those guys. And I used basketball to take me to a lot of good places. I ended up playing pretty good, being a good player in high school. My coach, he knew my background. So he told me, hey, basically, man, you can still go to college and get away from all this stuff. But I didn't want to go to college. So I ended up joining the military because a friend of mine told me, you can get paid to play basketball in the military. So I joined the military. I joined the United States Navy, which I'm very proud of. And so I played, uh, I signed up for six years. I ended up playing for the ship's team. My aircraft carrier that I dropped, my job was to drive the aircraft carrier. So I ended up forming a ship's team. And what we would do is every time we pulled into a port, we would play the best teams, whether it be an Australian national team or uh, any team they got in the city, professional team that they thought was really good. So I did that about three years for my ship. And then I think one time, probably my, on my fourth year of the contract, we played in a tournament in San Diego. And I was stationed in San Diego at that time. Played in the tournament there and a couple of colleges saw me play. It was Ole Miss, Arizona State, San Diego State, and Michigan State. And so a couple of them offered me a scholarship, but I was, you know, still tied to the military, so I couldn't get out. So um, somehow or another, I talked to my captain of the ship, and uh, he used to be an athletic director for the Naval Academy. And uh, so he talked, he figured out how they can get me off out of my contract early and I can go to college. So Arizona State wanted me to come. I told him I'll come out there. But I had my son, Marvin, at the time, and my wife, his mom. And so I ended up basically getting out of the military. And uh, then at the last minute, Marvin's mom said she didn't want to move to Arizona. So I moved back to the hometown where those guys are from, Seattle, Washington, a little town called – the little town's called Bremerton. It's a Navy-based city, a little city where all the military got – you know, people come in to get the ship refitted and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I ended up playing two years of community college, then did very well. Then I ended up getting a Division I scholarship to a Christian college called Warner Pacific University. I played real well there. And in the meantime, I was still following my dream. My dream was to be an NBA basketball player myself. So basketball, I followed basketball wherever it took me. So I ended up playing at the four-year college, then getting some NBA tryouts and some CBA tryouts. The CBA is now called the um, G League. It used to okay. be the CBA. Yeah, they call it this is G League now. So I ended up getting some trials. Then I think my last trial I, I went to uh, came to Houston, John Lucas had invited me to come to one of his, he had a program for, um, which basically was sponsored by the NBA. And John would take these guys who had drug problems, because John had drug problems while he played in the NBA. And so what he would do is use basketball as an avenue to help those guys get their lives back together. And so the NBA would send him guys to play during the summer on his, on his team. And so I got picked up by John. And then uh, like two or three days before it was time for me to go down to Florida to meet up with the team, um, he told me I had to get cut because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have no drug problems or anything like that, but the guy that they were bringing in did, and he played in the NBA. So I got cut. I was frustrated. About, I was 26 then. I got frustrated. I was tired of trying out. And so I started basically went into a little depression, started drinking and not wanting to do much of anything. 
And then my girlfriend, she finally talked me, girlfriend at the time finally talked me and said, won't you coach? So I started coaching with her, girls basketball. Now I did that for 25 years. Wow. Yeah, I did that for 25 years and I got really good at it. And uh, some of the parents who, who, you know, they were more upscale parents, they asked me to uh, start coaching the kids one-on-one and they would pay me by the hour. And so I started doing that as a side job. And so I did that for probably 10 or 15 years. And then I started coaching my son, Marvin, the same way. And he ended up being one of the top high school players in the nation. And then he went on to go to Carolina and play and win a national championship in 2005. And then he was the number two player picked in NBA draft. And so I, I, I helped manage his career for 15 years. He just recently, we both just recently basically retired. Um, and so then I started an AAU program where I, I, I took kids from my hometown who've never been out of the country or out of the state. And I, I took my personal money and I would fly those guys all over California, Seattle, uh, Las Vegas and play in these big major tournaments so they can get some exposure. And I did that for about six years. And then I wrote my book. I finally sat down and wrote my book. Okay, so the book. What is the book about? The book is about my life, how um, I, I progressed from a life where my parents were struggling with alcohol. They was abusive, meaning when I say abusive, I mean they would get fights sometimes. And then, you know, kids, I would step in and get hurt. Instead of them getting hurt, I would end up hurt, or my brother or sister would get hurt. Um, so I, I just used basketball as a way of getting away from all that. And so I came, I came from that background, and I thought, I thought about it. I said, well, look at me. I came from, from where I was at to where I'm at now. Um, so I started writing a memoir. I just started sitting down, you know, every night for an hour, jotting down things I remember as a kid, my life, as a child. And then I, I basically took the journey from, from New York to where I'm at now in the book. Well, and I imagine you learned a lot of lessons along the way. And, and I know that you shared those in the book. What, what are some of those lessons that you learned that you feel can be such, can make such an impact on those that are listening today, either for themselves or perhaps for a family member? I think one of the biggest things I learned looking back is that no matter what environment you come from, you can be successful if you're really determined. I think uh, if you have a passion, whether it be music, be teaching or whatever it is, you should follow that passion and see where it takes you. Um, for me, my passion was basketball and I followed it wherever it took me. And it took me to a lot of great places. Well, and I think there's a lot of a lot of kids out there that are really <clears throat> and young adults that are really experiencing, <clears throat> as you say, that that dysfunctional situation, they, they just see barriers that perhaps are so big that they, they've kind of have lost hope about being able to move into a life that is, is good for them. And, and what, what would you say to those young people? What would you, how would you advise them? And what would you say to them to help them to, number one, be able to actually face those barriers? And number two, start to overcome them and not lose hope. Yeah. I think the main thing with that is you will have struggles in your life. Some may be, some may be bigger than others. Uh, some may be smaller than others. I think overall, I think you, you take those in stride because that's going to build your character and make you the person that you are in the long run. And I think sometimes when people go through struggles in their life, they're, they're so busy looking at the here and now, they're not thinking about down the road. Because that, that tough time may be building you to be stronger for something bigger in your life. And you have to see it from that perspective. Um, one of the favorite books I read was uh, Think and Grow Rich. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember reading my favorite part was when uh, this gentleman, he was a, uh, he, he had bought some land and he was trying to um, dig for gold. And uh, he was three feet from it. He had kept digging, digging, and couldn't find, he couldn't find no gold. So he finally gave up and sold the land to a man. Right. And then that man came in, brought some people in and then three feet from where that guy stopped digging at, they started digging and hit and, and found gold. So just when you think you can't make it, you just got to keep pushing through and, and, and believe in yourself and believe in God. Because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do, uh, some people don't like to talk about Christianity or religion, but I do because I think it's a big it's a big part of your life. I think you got to have something higher than yourself to believe in, for one thing. And once you believe in that and, 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 and know and trust yourself and believe in yourself, you, you can achieve anything. I mean, also, every, every problem got a solution. My college coach taught me that. He said, Marv, he said, every problem got a solution. You just got to sit down and think about what that solution is. Well, and it's interesting you bring up the higher power. Um, you know, I think sometimes that is that can make the difference for mm-hmm. someone to understand that they're not alone. Right. And and if they can tap into that and realize that internally who they are really is a, a light that can shine forth that, yeah. that makes all the difference in the world. You you develop five steps to success. And before we get to that, though, because I do want to talk about that. Okay. What was it like training your son? And what are some of the things that he went through as far as you as his coach, as his father, observing times that maybe he was ready to quit? What what did you find his journey was like and how did he overcome challenges that actually got him to the point where he was so successful in the NBA? Well, the, the one thing that me and him both agreed upon, I told him, I said, if I'm going to start coaching you, uh, don't waste my time. If you want to be committed to doing this, then I'll help you and do it. I'll give you all the tools I got to make sure that you're successful, but you got to put the work in. And so I, be, like me and him laugh about it now. There'd be incidents where I would work him out and then I tell him, I'm coming to get you the next day and he would disappear. And then his mama, she was <laughs> like, well, I don't know where he's at. And so I would go to all his friends' houses until I, until I finally figured out which house he was in. And I would put, park my car out there. I saw I did one of his friends' house for about two hours because I said, you, you got to come out sooner or later. And then when he realized, he said, okay, my dad's serious. So he came out, we went to the gym, did what I was supposed to do. And I never had no trouble him since. He's always been committed. He loves working hard because I've always taught him, you know, if you're going to achieve anything in life, you got to put some work in. It's not going to come easy. And if anything comes easy, it ain't going to last long. Right. So, you know, and then when he got in the league, he, we struggled a little bit. We struggled a lot in Atlanta. I, I think with the coaching staff, uh, how they approach things. Um, he, he had later in his career, probably fifth or sixth year with Atlanta, he started not wanting to be there and was tired, of, you know, the coach getting on the nerve basically. And what I was explaining to him that throughout the whole process, you got to go through the endure these times because God is probably building you for something better down the road in your career. And it, and it, it just fortunately happened that it did because he went to Utah, started picking up momentum there for two years. And then he went, ended up with my friend, Michael Jordan over here in Charlotte, where he had a fantastic four years. And uh, I think that built a lot of character in him and made him stronger as a person to go through the, those adversities. But and I he's, reti- <laughs> he's retired now. Yeah. Yeah. I, ne- I had no trouble out of him as far as, you know, being disciplined and doing the things he's supposed to do. Okay. So as you develop these five steps to success, can you share with us what those are? I know the first one was keep your word. Yeah. I think it's very important. That it goes back to the story we just talked about. I, I, Marvin told me he, he wanted to work out. You say you're going to do it. Do what you say you're going to do. Because that that's establishing your credibility as a person. 
It doesn't matter whether it's basketball or work or friendship. You tell your friend you can be there for them when they when they're in need, and you give me your word. That's all you got. Your word don't cost you nothing. You just got to live up to it. Okay, so that was the first one. Then you talked about character. Character yeah. is everything. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's that's huge for for me because that was one of the things me, his mom, and his grandma always taught Marvin. Hey, man, if you're gonna do something, be a leader. Don't never be a follower because. When, when people judge you, they're going to judge you by your, your choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And I'll constantly tell Marvin, if you're going to do something, do the right thing. And if you know in the back of your mind, your parents or somebody is not going to approve of it, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, that, that, that's, that's how I feel about the character issue. Well, and, and that kind of combines with being a leader um, mm-hmm. rather than a follower. <clears throat> so how do you help those young people or how do you, yeah, how do you help the young people who are struggling with maybe doing things that probably their parents would prefer they're not doing, but they're definitely doing things that are not in their best interest, probably are not showing the type of character that you're talking about that has led you and your son to the success that you've had. How do you help some of these young people to kind of stop for a minute and go, okay, I'm not where I want to be, and I'm certainly not heading into the direction I want to be. And yeah, probably it has something to do with my character and my values. I think the young kids today are they're lost because you know, in my generation, we had elders that would that would stay on you. Older statesmen would stay on you about doing right. Your grandma, your neighbors, anybody, they stayed on you to do right. Um, I think kids today. It's really, really important that they find mentors. Their parents got to find them somebody that's going to shine the light on them and then put them in a, a, a in positive direction. You got to have people around you that's wanting things. If you want to be a doctor, you got to be around doctors. You want to be a musician. You got to start being around musicians. You know what I mean? You can't say, I want to be a musician, but I'm over here hanging out with gangbangers, you know, because that don't, at the end of the day, that don't add up. And so I think it's very important that your parents try to surround you with the right kind of uh, adult leadership. That's that's really, really where it comes from. And I think it takes a community. There's an old saying, it takes a community to raise a village. And I believe that strongly because that's what that's what I had when I was growing up. Well, how do you get that community, though? I mean, if if I'm a 16 year old that wants to become a doctor and my parents aren't necessarily really focused on helping me there, you know, yeah. how, how how do you encourage a young man or young woman? in that situation to be able to have the strength and the courage to be able to go beyond those boundaries that they have become so accustomed to in order to reach out and get that type of help? That's a good question. Uh, I have two answers for that. The first one is, you know, the program that has fallen off, off the radar. And I think it was a huge help for our young kids was the big brother and big sister program. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, I really, when that program was, was at its peak, it, I thought it done a lot of great things for young kids. Um, being at the Y, it used to be the Boys and Girls Club was a place to be at, and it still is. I think being in those kind of environments will, will, will get you, your kid in the right direction. And I, I also think that, I think that if you want to be a doctor, you need to find a way to get around doctors and talk to them and, and say, hey, I want to be a doctor. What, what would your advice be? Teach your kids to communicate. Teach them how to how to ask those kind of questions. Um, a lot of the stuff, like I, for me, I, my parents never was involved in back all my life. 
But I played basketball. My parents never seen me play once. All, all, mm-hmm. As good as I was as a basketball player, they never, they, cared, they never cared about that. So I basically didn't have no support system at home except for my high school coach. And so I had to use what tools I had available to me, which is my high school coach. And so I would spend my time with him and his son, and those guys would always constantly give me positive feedback and, and, and energy. Well, and I think you, you hit a good point. In fact, I interviewed someone a little bit earlier about this very topic and the fact that as we move into our lives and if we're fortunate enough to find some success in our lives, usually we can pinpoint that back to someone mm-hmm. who cared, someone yeah. who took an interest in us. And as you say, you know, the Big Brother program, some of those types of things, yeah. they're out there we're out there willing to help if, if they're willing to reach out and seek that. So how do, you, how do you help these young men and young women to prepare themselves for success, to prepare themselves to the point where they are able to have the courage to reach out? Because if they're willing to do that, I believe they will find someone who's willing to step up and say, I'll be there for you. Yeah. I would like to see... Uh... Uh, I would like to see more other schools bringing in people like that. So, so where, where basically rather than the kids sitting in the classroom six hours a day, seven hours a day, you bring in guest speakers and you have a meeting. We used to do that in school, have a meeting, they'll come in the auditorium or the gym and listen to these people come in and give speeches and tell you about their careers, their lives and things like that. And, and reach out to these kids a little bit more. I think we, we kind of gotten away from all those, those things. And, and I think that's why our kids are sort of lost now. The, unfortunately, school is one of those places, high school or, or middle school is one of those places where a lot of kids get relief. They go to those schools, so that's probably a safe place for them, a peaceful place for them. And so we need to uh, try to do more things like bring in guest speakers to these schools and, and, and let people know it's okay to have a dream. It's okay to want to pursue your dream. It's okay to not be like everybody else. But I think right now everybody's so caught up in thinking they have to be like everybody else to fit in. And it's not really that important. So it's really going to take some, some people to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to actually take responsibility to start getting some of these people mm-hmm. in to talk at school. And, and yes. how can we really focus on helping those people? Now your book, secondary break an NBA dad story, secondary break. What is that? What's that all about? <laughs> Well, I, I'm a big Carolina fan, and, uh, you know, I coach basketball, too. So anything that I did, even when Marvin was coaching, I used to make – when he was a little kid, I used to make him watch – Dean Smith had put together this videotape of how Carolina runs their basketball program, how they train their players. And so I used to make Marvin watch that over and over and over again until he got all those aspects down. Um, so um, when Marvin went to Carolina, Roy Williams ran an offense called secondary break. So basically means you get the ball – you try to fast break, get a quick bucket. If you can't get it, then you go into your secondary break, which is your, your basic offense to try to score. And so I use that uh, with my kids when I was coaching AAU. I ran the offense called secondary break, which I got, again, from Roy, Coach Roy Williams of Carolina. Well, and from a life lesson, you know, that metaphor, I think, is really fantastic when you think about yeah. that, that, you know, you move forward as fast as you can in a certain direction. And, right. hey, if it isn't working, you pull back. Yep. And you go into that secondary break and then you really look at what was the original plan right. and and move forward with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yep. Like <laughs> so what else is in your book that you feel like really has value that you can share with the audience? 
Well, I think with, in, in, in today's society, with issues going on with police officers and stuff, I talk about an issue I had. Um, I had got stopped one night. I was with my son's mom, her fiance at the time. We had went to a nightclub and uh, we was inside the nightclub. I wasn't drinking. They was, you know, her and her fiance were drinking. I was visiting with my friend who was a bouncer at the door. So I spent my whole time standing there talking to him the whole night. And so when I got ready to leave, she got, Marvin's mom got, they got in their car and they left. But they, when I, we, there was a whole bunch of police officers sitting outside in front of the club. They had just had a, a, a car chase uh, with a 17-year-old kid. And so I guess they were real amped up. And so when I pulled off, they pulled me over and thought I was drunk. And so I told them I wasn't drunk. And I let them, you know, I told them, you can give me a breathalyzer. And so the officers started being aggressive with me and, and turned, reached them and turned my car off. I got upset. So I got out the car. And then I tried to run away from her and call Marvin's mom because she only lived right down the street. So I figured she was home by then and try to get her to come up and give me some help. They snatched me out. They snatched me out the um, phone booth, basically beat me up. I woke up. I was in the hospital. Uh, then they charged me with assaulting the police officer and things like that. And so when I went to when I got ready to go to court, they offered me a deal. They said, uh, we're we going to give you seven years of prison. You can't vote no more. You can't carry a firearm. And so I was like, no, I'm not doing that because I know I didn't do anything wrong. And then so I went to trial. They acquitted me and I ended up suing the police department. They paid me, but they never admit wrongdoing at all. And they never and I was never charged. I was they did blood test on me. I had no alcohol on me whatsoever, like I told them. So I think I think that that part of the book will resonate with a lot of people today. Well, and that that brings up some real strong emotions, doesn't it? Because that's that's yeah. still going on today. Yeah, yeah, and it's and you know it's a twofold issue for me because as a military person, I sit and think, man, I was in two wars, and I didn't go, I didn't sacrifice my life for us to come back to see that. You know what I mean? Because the same person that he, that same police officer might that's killing a black person, I was willing to take a bullet for his kids and him and, and, and his whole family. You know what I mean? So I have I have issues with that sometimes when I when I see those things going on. Well, and, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of us have not had sufficient experiences to understand truly what you're talking about and what you're going through and what you did go through and, and what many are still going through. What how do we change this culture? What are your thoughts about how we can literally change the culture to where there's really a respect among all people and and this concept that we see so often of discrimination going on? I'm a strong believer in Martin Luther King's values. Uh, I believe you should judge a person by their character, not their color. Um, I've always felt that way. Because what, what's, what's so sad, what becomes so sad is me and you having a conversation, you white and I'm black right now, because, because of the fact that I'm, I'm a different color than you, you refuse to get to know me. But it could be a friendship that could go on forever and be a great friendship. But you refuse to you know, get to know me and I get to know you and we live as decent human beings every day. And I just think love is important. You got to love everybody. You know, just do the best. And the ones that you can't get along with or deal with, you just stay away from but we can't we can't have a society where a human being is judged on his financial status, his color, or or his background. I think we need to act as as human beings. Love love people like God did. I mean, you talk about being godly. I mean, they didn't even want to be bothered when God went into into uh, help the um, people with leprosy. Everybody else wanted to stay away, but God, what, what did God do? 
He said, I'm not going to judge you because you got leprosy. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to try to do what I can to help and heal you. And that's how we got to approach the world today. And then until we learn to do that, I think we're going to have trouble. And how do we learn to do that? One day at a time. <laughs> One day, day at a time. time. <laughs> yeah. You, gotta, you, gotta, you know what you really got to do? People got to check themselves. If you feel a certain way when you meet an individual because you're a different color, then you need, maybe there's something you need to check with yourself that maybe I was wrong. I need to check myself and, and, and change my approach to that. Because that could be a great human being. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it's unfortunate. It, it yeah. you know, I look at it from the standpoint of why would anyone even worry about color? Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense, uh, <laughs> and 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 yet it does. Believe me, I I know yeah. people, and it, it just seems to be there. And yeah. and I think you have a good point. Of you know, it it starts with the one. It starts with us, mm-hmm. and. And I think in some senses, as we're seeing on the streets right now, there's a reverse going on also. Yeah. Um, and and so you have this happening of just this, you know, this anger that's going on and the diversity that is happening. And rather than just learning to really care about and love each other for who we are, rather than and for the beings that we are rather than anything else uh it's not easy you know you know what's interesting though you sit down if we if you go to like i got granddaughters so and then i got some nieces that i take um take care of if you sit down and take those kids to a park and just sit and watch them interact with other people they don't care nothing about your color they don't care nothing about who you are they want to be friends they want to be friends you know what i mean and so yeah. all of that generational stuff comes from what we teach our kids at home. Some people teach their kids, you know, color doesn't matter. There's some pe- people teach their kids color does matter. You know what I mean? But if you watch kids interact and just take a moment to sit and watch kids in the park and watch how they play with each other and don't care about what color y'all they just have. We as an adult should take a lesson from that. You know, it kind of goes back to that saying, um, be as little children. Yes. Yep. Yep. For as such is the kingdom. Yes, and, you know, and, and I, I think many times uh, we can learn so much from children if we would just be willing to do that. That's exactly right. That's exactly, I've learned so much with my son. I tell him all the time. He laughs at me. I say, man, I learned so much from you, even though I'm your dad. I've learned so much from you as my son. I became a better parent because of the things I learned from you. Well, and that makes all the difference in the world. Well, Marvin, what, what other messages would you like to share with the audience today? I, really, I, want, I want the book to inspire people. I want them to take a look at it and see, say, hey, man, this guy came from all of this and he still made it. Um, why can't I? You know, I want to I I do the same thing he's done. And don't let barriers, no matter what they are, be the reasons you don't. You know, um, we all going to have struggles in our life. Just find a way to get around those struggles and keep moving forward. And how do people find your book? It's on Amazon.com, um, BarnesandNoble.com, even Walmart.com, and then iTunes and uh, Apple Play. Okay. And the name is Secondary Break, an NBA Dad's Story. Yes. Yep. Marvin, this has, been, this has been a fascinating conversation. And, and I really appreciate you coming on the show Thank and you. sharing your thoughts. Because <laughs> you've, shared, you've shared some sensitive issues. And I really appreciate you being willing to do that. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And, and you know what? It is time to just become friends. Exactly. That's it. Life will be, we have a great life. Wake up smiling and happy every day. That's what you want. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, thanks for being on the show, Marvin. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And folks, thanks for listening today. hope you enjoyed it. And I hope, hope it's making some dents in our personalities and our thought process to where we can always start moving in a direction where we really start making a difference in other people's lives. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us again. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.